There it is. We're on. Yeah. A lot of people don't. Like Psalm 119. Stayed with it till the end. Okay. Um, Sade. And uh, that is uh, trial, righteous, journey, chase, hunt. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servants love them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. Mm -hmm. All right, get that. Yeah. It's not me. No, nope, wasn't you. Mm -hmm. It's just a notification. I'm sorry, Charlie. Huh? I would be acting out. Oh, that's all right. We got started without you. That's okay. Um, let's see here. What do we got? I, we did that. Um, I think I've read all those. Uh, yes, I did. What is your friend's no, no. name, Ed? Domsowski. We want to pray for him. He had cancer, and now he's got it again in a, on his lung. So we want to have Ed in prayer. And uh, Tough, you know? I mean, this, what a crummy world at times. Uh, so difficult. Very difficult. Let's see here. We got um, 15 September. Is that correct? 15 September. Yep. All day. Apologies are difficult, especially when they are not accepted. David Brainerd was born in Connecticut in 1718. Shortly before he entered Yale in 1739, he experienced a profound conversion to Christ. Brainerd's years at Yale were difficult. Yale had been founded because Harvard had become Unitarian and the many religious activities there appeared to have little effect on the student body. The main diversions of the students were drinking, parties, gambling, and harassment of the town's people. In August 1740, Brainerd's, Brainerd's tutor noticed that he was spitting up blood, the first sign of tuberculosis. His tutor, uh, where was I? His tutor first signed, oh yeah, his tutor recommended that he return home to recuperate. While Brainerd was at home, George Whitfield, the 25-year-old Anglican evangelist, preached at Yale. Brainerd returned to Yale in November, and by the following February, the fruit of George Whitefield's preaching was beginning to manifest itself. In March, Gilbert Tennant, an Irish-American evangelist, preached at Yale and had a great impact upon the students. However, by September of 1741, Thomas Clapp, the rector and president, and the college trustees took a stand against the revivalists. They condemned the students who were in support of what had become known as the Great Awakening and passed a resolution stating that if any student of this college shall indirectly state that the rector, the trustees, or tutors are hypocrites, carnal, or unconverted men, he shall for his first offense make a public confession in the hall and for the second offense be expelled. So, so much for having the gospel at Harvard. David Brainerd, now a junior, spent many hours discussing spiritual things with his fellow students. One day, the discussion was about a certain tutor. When one of Brainerd's friends asked him what he thought of the tutor, he replied, he has no more grace than this chair. A freshman overheard Brainerd's remark, and soon President Clapp learned of it and summoned Brainerd. David admitted making the comment, and the president told him that he must make a public apology to the student body. 
Brainerd refused, believing that a public confession was inappropriate since it had been a private remark. To President Clapp, this was an act of rebellion, and he immediately expelled Brainerd. A law recently passed in Connecticut stated that no minister could be installed in a church unless he was a graduate of Yale, Harvard, or a European university. Because of his expulsion, David Brainerd was now cut off from his calling. On September 15, 1743, Brainerd wrote a letter to President Clapp and the trustees of Yale confessing his sin in handling of the situation and offering to make a public apology to the student body. His appeal was rejected. Yet God worked the situation out for his glory and for Brainerd's good. A group of ministers sympathetic to the Great Awakening licensed Brainerd to preach and appointed him as a missionary to the American Indians. In the few remaining years before his death, he brought the Great Awakening to the Indians of Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. But the results of Brainerd's expulsion from Yale went far beyond his ministry to the Indians. Jonathan Dickinson and Aaron Burr Sr., both graduates of Yale and Presbyterian pastors, took an interest in Brainerd's efforts to be readmitted to Yale and were disillusioned with the college's refusal to readmit him. Brainerd's expulsion brought to a head the Presbyterians' dissatisfaction with Yale and solidified their resolve to begin a college of their own. The College of New Jersey, later Princeton University, began in 1741 in Jonathan Dixon's home, where David Brainerd, now 29, was living in his final months. Brainerd is thus considered to be the college's first student. Brainerd's expulsion from Yale precipitated the founding of Princeton. Have you experienced situation where God made something good out of something bad? Joseph in the Old Testament was sold as a slave by his brothers, yet he ended up becoming the second in command in Egypt. Maybe the bad experience in your life hasn't resulted in something good. Make it a matter of prayer to ask God to glorify himself in your situation. Joseph told them, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. So there you go with that. Um, so we got um, what? Right next to uh, Hartford, Connecticut is Brainerd Airfield. Brainerd, yeah, I know that. Brainerd, I used to fly in there. That's exactly right. Um, we've got Pete. I forgot. He emailed me. His wife has had cancer, and uh, she had to go to a different type of treatment. And he emailed me today and said that uh, she is her tumor is decreasing in size. So we want to praise the Lord for that as well. Good stuff. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your word. And uh, we just ask that uh, you would be glorified through this class. Uh, if there's something that is wrong that is stated here, if our doctrine is missing in some way, please let us know that so that it can be corrected and we can not have something that would lead people on a bad path. Uh, Lord, we thank you for how you've uh, treated um, Peter's wife in the past week or so. And uh, we're hoping for better news, even better news in the uh, days ahead. And we certainly pray for Ed, who is uh, suffering with his own cancer that is now spread to his lungs. And uh, Lord, we ask that you be with them and with anybody else that's suffering with your own afflictions. We thank you for the chance to come into your presence, Lord, and we just love you. We just praise you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> okay, let's see here. We've got, um, uh, we're in Col uh, Colossians. Yes, Colossians. What's that? Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. How y'all doing today? Good, good, good. Good to see you. Okay, we're in 128. So, you got it. Okay. We proclaimed him, 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Okay, this one says just, uh, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So there you go, a little, little different. But okay, Him is obviously speaking of Christ as referred to throughout the passage and also in the preceding verse. In the words, Him we preach, the we is in the emphatic position. Thus, he is including Epaphras of verse 7, and Timothy was included in verse 1. So we, him we preach. He and his fellow uh, disciples or evangelists is who he's referring to, placing them in the emphatic position. <clears throat> he's probably also referring to the true apostles who would come and preach Jesus Christ in the manner of himself and these others. In other words, anyone who does not preach him is in in the same manner is to be rejected okay we preach christ okay somebody comes along that is not preaching the proper christ then he is to be rejected and uh so and then you know of course you got people that are opportunists they preach christ and they do a really good job of preaching christ and yet they don't have anything to do with jesus themselves okay they just they understand that you know i can make a lot of money in the ministry and uh, churches are full of that type of stuff too but so you got to be careful even with somebody that seems to have a good message is he really a believer in Christ next he says warning every man the word is nuthetio and it means admonish through instruction this is especially in appeals to the mind or yes in order to supply substance in doctrine and spiritual matters I'll read that again that's where my heart is this is especially in appeals to the mind in order to supply substance in doctrine and spiritual matters. It's great that people get saved. I'm happy that people get saved, and I'm happy that people are out there telling about Jesus. But if they get saved and they go into a church and never learn doctrine, their life is always going to be less than it could be. When you have proper doctrine, and when you have an understanding of the word, you will have a right appreciation for your salvation. You won't worry if you're going to lose your salvation. You're going to be grounded when the cancer does come. You're going to say, you know, I know the Lord has a plan for this and it means to take me home. I mean, people that are grounded in their doctrine will have a better state of life than people that are not. And so, uh, you know, and uh, I was uh, talking to somebody yesterday about Jesus and uh, I you know, he lives close to me, and so I finally got a chance to talk to him, and I don't see him very often, and uh, so he was walking his dog, and I came up to him, and I said, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. You got five minutes? Oh, yeah, so we talked, and, and he understood everything I said. I, I talked to him about the, uh, the gospel. I talked to him about uh, how to be saved. I gave him what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4, and, um, uh, so, and he said, I, I, I can accept that premise. And then um, I said uh, something about the exclusivity of Jesus, and he kind of got a blank stare on his face. So he, he accepts the premise of the gospel, but he doesn't accept the premise that Jesus is the only way. And so the next time I see him, I'm going to have to say, you know, we talked, and, and uh, I'll just eventually work into the fact that Jesus said that. And if he is God, because he accepted the premise that Jesus must be God if he was without sin. You know, I went through the whole thing. And uh, if that's true, and he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, then it must be true. And therefore, if it's true, then he is the only way. 
But if it's not true, then he's not the only way and you're still lost in your sins because as we talked about, there's no possibility of being saved apart from God doing it, okay? Coming into the stream of humanity and removing our sin the way that he did. It's not possible. And so uh, doctrine actually matters. And you go and you get wrong doctrine, the next thing you know, you're down into Jehovah's Witnesses and you're being taught things that are completely, not just untrue, but they're unhealthily untrue. Okay. Well, if there are other ways, then why did he go through why all would, that he did? Why would, yeah, you know, that's exactly right. It's like people always say, I'm okay, you're okay. And as I've said this a couple times in classes, that my brother was driving down the road one day and he saw a big billboard on the side of the road that said, if I'm okay and you're okay, picture of Jesus, what am I doing up here? Uh-huh. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, what would he have gone through that for if, in fact, there was another way? If one person can be saved apart from Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ was pointless. If one person. So it, nobody's coming to God except through Christ, Not either Mary. looking forward to the Messiah or looking back on him. What? Not Mary. Not Mary. Sorry. Sorry. If you believe that, no, then I you're, know. I know you don't. I, I, but I'm saying if you believe that, then you are, you are mm-hmm. especially deluded. I was thinking about the Marian cult today while I was working at the mall. It's just... It, it, it's crazy the peop- the things that people get into, and I don't know how they can get so far away from the truth of God that they don't even understand who Jesus is, and they're worshiping a person that died two thousand years ago. I don't get it, but that's uh, the Catholic Church is just abounding with that type of stuff. Okay, so uh, doctrine and spiritual matters. It gives the sense of exerting positive pressure on another person's logic or reason. And that is what I try to do in every sermon, is to uh, exert positive pressure on another's logic or reason, okay? I love to get into the typology. That's my favorite aspect of the Bible, is the typology and how it points to Christ. But at the same time, we want to have logical understanding of what Jesus did. We want to logically think through uh, his work, his ministry, his person, his deity, everything about him. And uh, Maya has been continuing to post from the doctrine sermons and going back and, you know, watching her Bible Bites, it is a reminder to me, even though I typed the sermons, it's a nice reminder to me, oh yeah, I forgot that point. I forgot that point. And it's, so it's, it's a great thing to go back and watch those every day as she posts them. Good stuff. Um, so uh, uh, positive pressure on another person, logic or reason. Therefore, the word warning, which is repeated from the archaic King James Version, is better translated as admonish. What warning once meant has taken on a different force in modern English, which is not found in Paul's thoughts. We want to admonish people. We're not being warned in the sense of this verse here. In addition to admonishment, uh, it, yes, in addition to admonishment, he says, and teaching. Whereas the admonishment is directed to those who have already been taught and which looks to correctly walking in accord with doctrine or unrepenting, I'm sorry, I'm trying to reach something and read at the same time and it's not possible, looks to uh, correctly walking in accord with doctrine or repenting and turning back to correct doctrine. The teaching looks to those who are uneducated in matters and who need to learn instruction. Okay, once again, the word repent means nothing more than to change your mind. mind. 
That's all that word means, okay? Change your mind. If you are uh, lacking in doctrine or if you're going down a wrong path, which you once went down the right path, you need to get back on the right path. You change your mind about it. You repent of it, okay? Uh, I won't get into it again this week, but be sure that when you see the word repent in the Bible, it means nothing more than change your mind. That's the meaning of the word, okay? People have taken that word and they've twisted it so much that when it's used, people think of all kinds of actions you need to do, which have nothing to do with simply changing your mind, okay? Repenting and turning back to correct doctrine. The teaching looks to those who are uneducated in matters and who need to learn instruction. This then is directed to their intellect in order for them to obtain the necessary information that they lack. Okay, once again, it's great to be saved. I, I would hope that every person on this planet would be saved. Okay, once you're saved though, it is great to continue in your salvation learning about Jesus, learning about what God expects, learning about the, the infinite grace of God and being able to contemplate those things and to have people and I'm not just talking about this class, I'm talking about you turn on Moody Radio and you listen to somebody that is preaching a good sermon and he is instructing people on how to improve your life in Christ from a scriptural perspective. That's really important, okay? If you're not getting that, if you're just going to church and getting a life application sermon to get you through the next week, you are not being built up at all. All you're being done is strung along from week to week. And that's not, it's not productive in the end. You want to have proper doctrine. You want to have somebody that, um, what's the guy's name? Chuck Swindoll. He always, you know, I don't listen to a lot of radio anymore, but whenever I turn him on, he's always got something that is edifying in the word. And uh, anybody disagree with that? No. Okay, no, I, I've always enjoyed listening to him. It just came to mind, and uh, uh, there are some people out there that are like that. They will always have something that is logical, it is edifying, and then he also has a lot of uh, uh, little stories he adds in, and that's not my thing. I'm not, you know, he did one that was a great moral lesson, though. Um, I'm sure it was Chuck Swindoll that did it. He was talking about how they would um, uh, get wolves, I think it was, and how they would... Um, uh, uh, were able to, uh, what they would do is they would take a very sharp knife and they'd slather it in blood of an animal, okay? And then the wolf would come along and it would lick that blood. And he wouldn't realize that he had cut his tongue. And he'd keep drinking up the blood and drinking up the blood until he was bled out. And he gave a great application from that. So applications can be good if they're properly directed and they get you to think about, you know, some moral precept like sin. You just keep lapping it up, and you keep lapping it up, and you don't realize that you're actually killing yourself, okay? It was a great moral lesson, but once again, um, you know, I'd rather go more to the, uh, the direct and, you know, just talk about the, uh, uh, the, the philosophical nature of thing, the logical nature of thing, things like that. N not, neither one is right or wrong, it's just the way that I do things, but Chuck Swindoll, when he gives an example like that, is always spot on. Always good stuff. Anyway, um, I always find that this is your salvo into like more life application stuff. Oh yeah. Than your your sermons. Your sermons are not. But that's yeah. That's great. I have no problem with that. But the you class. Know, you you will hear. You'll you'll drift into like that. That was a life application. Might not have been yours, but it yeah. Was, well, that's it was right. Somebody else's. And so yeah. Here it's just a little less formal. And I want to be structured on Sunday because what I'm putting out is something that is an analysis of a passage of scripture that I will never go through again. And I want to get every single thing out of it that I can. 
And so that's why uh, you know, it, uh, sermons are very tiring. Uh, Monday was just brutal. Did I sleep upstairs Monday? I don't think I did. I just I just lay on the couch and I was out. You know, I just so it starts at three thirty and it gets done when it gets done. And you know, the day is just long and uh, I just I was so beat after sermon typing on Sunday. And, but that's that's what I want for Sundays. I want something that is going to be a pr- presentation of a book that I'm never going to... We may go through the book of Colossians again. You know, it's the New Testament is not really big. And, and uh, Acts will take a while, though. I mean, <laughs> when we get to Acts, we may never get to Colossians again because it's such a long book as far as the, uh, the content. We're up to 800 pages now, and we're still in Acts chapter 10. So it, it's a long commentary, but um, by the time we're done, it's, it's going to be pretty long. But um, uh, the Old Testament passages, I'm not going to go through them again. I have no doubt about it. And so I want to give the, the best that I can out of them. And not that I won't give the best at any time, but I want it to be very, very precise in what is being told. So that's why I go through that. But anyway, I agree, though. The, the classes are a little bit different, and you get into a little more stuff. Um, and going on, Paul uses the word every in both admonishing and in teaching, and then again in the next clause as well, in order to emphasize the universality of the gospel against the intellectual exclusiveness encouraged by the false teachers. That's Vincent's word studies. I'll read that again now. Emphasize the universality of the gospel against the intellectual exclusiveness encouraged by the false teachers exactly what was being said about those people at Yale and Harvard in the uh, commentary today. All right, that's exactly what they're doing. These are these pompous people that have no love for the Lord. They're teaching something that has nothing to do with the gospel, and this is what we are supposed to be doing, is teaching against those people, okay? So, well said by Vincent's word studies. Whereas false teachers claim exclusive knowledge that they alone possess, the gospel is open to all, and can be understood by all. And that's one of the things, when you see exclusivity, and this can happen in any denomination, it can happen in any church, it can, and when I say this, it's always going to be something detrimental to the congregation. We use only the King James Version. It's the only allowed version, it's the only inspired version. There's a problem with that. When somebody says that you must be baptized into the Church of Christ, which is their policy, there is a problem with that. The Church of Christ didn't exist until the 1800s. It, it, it's just stupid from the beginning. When you see people that say things like that, this and nothing else, unless it's based on the Bible, unless it's based on something that is found in the Bible, you need to get out of that congregation. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they're, it's our way and that's all there is to it. The Mormons, it's our way and that's all there is to it. They've got these exclusive labels on them where we possess the key to salvation and nobody else. Okay, when you see that in a church, get up and walk right out of that church. If they claim something exclusive, don't have anything to do with them. You need to be out of there because the gospel is open to all people. It can be preached by any people and it can be preached to everybody at any time, okay? This is not something that is hidden in one little denomination. It's not something that's hidden in one book of discipline or anything like that. Okay, and so when you hear somebody say, this is the only way, be very, very careful of those people. Whereas false teachers claim exclusive knowledge that they alone possess. And that was Gnosticism in a nutshell. That's the uh, heresy that's even uh, especially being 
highlighted by Paul here and by other authors as well. We have the secret knowledge, okay? We have the knowledge that only we possess and without it you cannot, you know, be reconciled to God. I'm sorry, the gospel is open to everybody and there's nothing secret or hidden in it. It is open and it is there available to everybody. Be careful with people that make any of those exclusive claims, okay? The only thing exclusive about the words of Scripture are that they are revealed as God determines and also by study and contemplation by those who would desire deeper knowledge. Okay? The Bible is open. It is revealed. Everything that we can know that we need to know is in the Scriptures. Okay? And having said that, um, uh, there's nothing that God will purposefully hide. Now, there are things that God has taken and he is... Uh, hidden from the eyes of people for a certain amount of time, but it could have been known. In other words, the Jews were exiled, the church had taken over, and uh, it says that Israel is blinded to this day, right? Okay, we know that. But, I hate to tell the church, but they have been blinded to this day as well. There are preachers throughout the years that have said adamantly that Israel will someday be reconciled to God. John Gill wrote about that, Adam Clark wrote about that, but for 99% of the church, they had no idea this would ever happen. And there's a reason for that. You got a couple Jews here, you got a couple over there, you got some over there. They're doing their own thing. The land is completely waste. And uh, I, the reason why I say this is because if the church knew that the end times and the coming of the Lord was contingent on the Jews being back in the land, from the first day, they would have been trying to get them back into the land. Okay, but they weren't doing that. They were just off doing their own thing spreading the gospel and all that kind of stuff, not realizing that the punishments and curses of Deuteronomy will end someday and that Israel will be restored as the head of the nations. Okay, and even to this day in the church, we have that. We have teachers that have not accepted that, that say that Israel is out, there's, uh, God has divorced them, etc., and it's done. And so there is a blindness in these people, but that can be deduced, Those the truths of it can be deduced from Scripture. God hasn't hidden those things for only a select group to know, okay? It comes down to study, it comes down to contemplation, it comes down to taking God's Word at face value. Um, I like to bring this verse in from time to time. Is, um, let me take you there. Oh, that's okay if it falls in. It's just rolling right off, isn't it? Um, uh, I want to go, not Hosea, I think it's, maybe it is Hosea. Let me go there. I just passed it up. and um, I, Amos, that's what I want. Amos, all right, and I'm going to go to, I know it's going to be Amos 9.15 or something. Yes, I'll go to 14. Amos 9.14. Now, this is clear, clear, plain text. The page is white. The ink is black. It says what it says, okay? I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up. Well, they were pulled up in AD 70, weren't they? Okay, so it can't be AD 70 he's talking about because they were pulled up and then they were pulled up again. I'm sorry, they were they were exiled for 70 years by Babylon. Babylon right. right, and then they were exiled again in AD 70 by the Romans, right? Yes. But it says, I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. 
And so that means if you take that, this white paper with this black ink that's from the hand of the Lord through Amos, you have to take it as to mean that there is going to be a return of Israel after their current exile, okay? Or it doesn't mean what it means, and it's and not it's the word of God, right. absolutely. And so there are things in the Bible that take study, they take contemplation, and they actually take belief. And all of these people, even to this day, as I said, that will read that and say, well, that doesn't mean what it means, are not reading it the way that God has given it. It says what it says. It can mean nothing else. Now, you could say, well, that's speaking of uh, the church because the church has replaced Israel. Well, as stupid as that is, people will use that logic so that they can defend their position that Israel is out. Okay, but it's speaking of the land. Does the church have a land grant? No, there's never been a land grant no. to the church, no. ever. No. Does it been conditional in any way? Can anybody it's not conditional. It says right there, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, signed by the Lord your God. It cannot be conditional because he said it. I, if you can find a conditional in that, you let me know. But I can't. He said it, and so I have to accept it as the way it is. And it also is repeated also in Leviticus 26. It's very clear the last verses of Leviticus 26 are absolutely concrete that he, uh, we'll go there just because we're on this and I brought it up and I don't want anybody that's never listened to this to uh, uh, think what is he talking about because you get to Leviticus 26 and it says well that doesn't say anything. It actually does if you uh, don't understand from what I'm going to tell you now because I'm not going to be as in-depth Go back and watch Leviticus, the third Leviticus 26 sermon. But here's what it says. I'll take you to verse 40, okay? And I'm going to read it, and I want you to think about it while I'm reading it. But if they confess their iniquity, this is obviously speaking of Israel, and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I have also walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land shall also be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet, for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Okay, so you've got him remembering his covenant with um uh, with uh, Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And so the church could say, well, see, we're under Abraham. Paul speaks of that, right? He clearly speaks of the promise made to Abraham. And so we are sons of Abraham by faith. And so they could say, well, see, that actually applies to the church. Never really thinking through that it doesn't apply to Isaac and to Jacob. But they could say, well, Isaac and Jacob were still under grace because the law had not yet been introduced, right? I could see somebody making that argument even though it's illogical because Paul doesn't speak about that. He only speaks about with Abraham, okay? But what does he do after he does that? He goes down to the, um, where is it? Verse 45, and he says, but 
for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. That can be nobody but Israel. That can be nobody but Israel because only Israel was given the law. No other group of people on this planet has ever been given the law of Moses, only Israel. And he says, I will remember that covenant with them. So first he appeals to the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is a land grant. And then he appeals to the covenant, which he is now giving them. And that promises that they will be brought back into the land and he will be their God. There's no way around that. There's absolutely no way around that when you take that in its proper context because only Israel was given that promise. Only Israel. So everything has to be taken in the proper light. It has to be taken with study. It has to be taken with contemplation. And if it's not, then this is where problems arise is that people get into all of these crazy things they, uh, you know, they have not done the study. It was funny. I had forgotten this, uh, talking about the doctrine sermons. I watched the Bible Bite that Maya posted yesterday, and we talked about um, uh, John Calvin and double predestination. And everybody says, well, he, he wasn't double predestination. He was only predestined. Uh, he was, you know, believed in predestination, but not double. But then I gave a quote from John Calvin, and it's very clear that he was double predestination. God created you for salvation. He created you for condemnation. You talk about a heretical thought. That is it. Anyway, so it's good to remind yourself of these things from time to time. Even if you know them, it's good to go back and remind yourself because doctrine matters, okay? And it will affect everything that you do in your walk with the Lord, in your interaction with other people, and how you treat the nation of Israel. Hey, I've said it every week for years. Israel is not right with the Lord in any way, shape, or form. There are probably farther from the Lord than America is, and we're in really sorry shape right now, okay? But that does not negate God's faithfulness to his people. And so we need to remember that. We need to keep that in mind at all times. It's just because they're not right with the Lord. We have a responsibility to agree with God when he has done something, something miraculous by bringing them back into the land. Now, unfortunately, we know the end of that too, is that two thirds of them are gonna die in the process. And that's sad, it's a terrible thing, but if you think about it, two thirds of Israel being exterminated during the tribulation period is actually grace because they're the center of everything that's gonna be happening in the world and you'd think that they'd all just be wiped out. But the whole world is gonna go into the same condemnation. It's not just Israel, but Israel will be a part of it, okay? But he has promised, unlike to anybody else, he will bring Israel through. So it's all grace in the end. But there is a, there's a need to be uh, clear with our doctrine in order to understand what's going on. All right. Leviticus 26 is very clear about that. Uh, what did I just read? Amos 9.15 is absolutely clear about that. And then you go into the other prophets' books. It can't be talking at the end of Isaiah about anybody else. It's got to be speaking about Israel. Yeah. You get to Zechariah 10, 11, 12, 14. Those passages only speak of Israel end time stuff dealing with Israel and a reign of God, Jesus Christ from Israel among his people. It can't be speaking of anything else. So, you know, I, I, I feel bad that people spiritualize things to the point where they no longer have any value from what is being said, but that's what happens. So anyway, um, that's your every, I read that part, Vincent's word studies. Um, I talked about the exclusivity of uh, scriptures 
God has revealed it. It is open to all, but it just takes our mental thinking it through. But nobody has the secret knowledge of God that he has bestowed on one person and nobody else, okay? And if that person claims that, get away from them. Now, it may be that you'll hear something in a church that some preacher has studied, he has thought about, and he is the first person to come up with this idea in the history of the church. That doesn't mean it's wrong, okay? It just means that the Lord allowed him to uh, have that insight into the scriptures that have, has not been put out before, okay? That doesn't mean that it was healed, uh, uh, hidden. It means that it is now revealed, okay? It was there, clearly there, but the guy had to deduce it or to figure it out, okay? Well, the, the, and, the day that um, uh, Israel went back into the land, I mean, that's... No, it's there in the Bible. It is, and, and okay, it's right there. How that's right. We, we found that out afterward. After Israel was returned to the land, somebody figured out how God had put that into his word. It wasn't revealed before they got back into the land, but once they were back in the land, somebody said, well, there, God must have told us, and he went down and he did the calculation, and sure enough, there it is. Okay, so it can be figured out, but uh, we can't figure out the rapture. I'm sorry, if you believe that, you're wasting your time. Don't, until it don't, happens. Yeah, until we'll, it happens, and then, then somebody we'll see, will be then. able to say, maybe, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's right. That may be the case, but we will not be able to figure out beforehand. We're, 2 Thessalonians 2 is very clear. We're not going to know who the Antichrist is, so don't buy the book, okay? You've wasted your money if you did. Prophecy is, is not for predicting, but for knowing who to give the credit to once it once happens. Once it happens. That's exactly so, right. That's exactly try. right. Like, you know, yeah. His next words, in all wisdom are given to oppose the esoteric and exoteric wisdom represented by the false teacher. Higher knowledge for the few philosophic minds and blind faith for the masses. Okay, hey, great, great video I watched yesterday while she was cooking. Okay, I finished up work and I had a few minutes. She came home late, she wasn't cooking. She came home late, shame on her. And so I told her, um, uh, she, whenever I see the work phone number rang at about 5.30. It means she's not coming home, okay? So I pick up the phone and all I said was, you stop and buy dinner. I'm not gonna have her after working all day long cooking. So we're gonna take it easy and she's gonna get to buy dinner, whatever she wants and bring that home. So when we come home, she won't have to fuss with it. But while she, I was waiting for her, I watched a video. Let me see if it's still up on here. Um, let me see if, uh, uh, it was great. I recommend this video. Okay, let me see. Uh, apologetics, that's probably it. Okay, Genesis Apologetics. Okay, if you go online, you'll see is Genesis history and a couple of these other great, great um, uh, creation sites. Okay, this one is called Genesis Apologetics. If you haven't watched them, they're a great site. I've never heard anything. I thought, well, that doesn't sound right. Um, okay, uh, they, in other words, their doctrine is good. There's nothing, you know, crazy that they put out. But they did a video which answered some questions that I've had, okay? And oops, I hit the wrong button. Let's, okay. Um, and it came out just yesterday. Came out yesterday and it came right up to the top of my feed. Why don't we find humans buried with dinosaurs? Has anybody thought that? Because we have dinosaurs, and why aren't we finding humans if they were alive at the time? If Adam was there on the first day of creation, or sixth day of creation, and then the flood happened, and there's no human bones to support that. Has anybody thought that? You know, because you've got all, well, why? Why haven't you thought that? Is it because you didn't think of it, or because you don't think it's important? No, yeah, we didn't think of it. I didn't think of it. Oh, okay. I think it all the time. As long as you didn't think it wasn't something important. 
we have in the area of the world where dinosaurs are found, these certain pockets of them, we've got all kinds of dinosaurs. We got bones, 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 bones. And we know it's this big, we know how much it weighed, we know what it ate, we know all about it. And I, why aren't there any humans in with it? And they did a great job of answering why. It is a great video. It's a little long, 40 minutes. It makes sense. Yeah, too, well, I, I can tell you that when you watch it, you'll say that makes even more sense well, than the sense that I think. Because it, they thought of things that I would. Well, okay, well, okay. I, I think I saw it on not that site, but something okay. else. But that was because they were large. They were able to scurry away. Nope, that's from actually the thing, not and the. They, and they went to like certain areas where they could uh, die, basically, at the end of the day. Okay, well, that. And the humans could not get there because they that's, were not. That's not the conclusion they came to at all, and they did a much better job than that. Because that's you could my, use that that's argument. My of it, eh? Yeah. Well, I, no, I'm just saying that they did a much better job than, than that explanation. Okay. Okay. So because humans have the ability to get places. Okay. That well, that's a non-starter to me. Before Uber. Yeah. Well, it is before Uber. But <laughs> they went through a very, very, very good explanation of this. Okay. They went through about four or five different reasons, and then they stopped in the middle and they did something that was kind of interesting. They've done this in a couple of their other videos. They took. Um, to students that are in school and they're debating evolution and uh, creation with their teachers. But the teachers aren't there. It's just two students talking about this subject. And one of them I did this research and I found this and I did this research and I found that. And one of them was sitting back there kind of quiet while this one is talking about, look at we found proof there's actually human footprints in with dinosaur footprints. And they're all over the world. They found these. Dinosaur footprints, there's one of them, it's a footprint, and then there's a dinosaur that set, stepped in the same place where he did. So they're overlapping. One of these pterodactyls or something, his footprint is in the human footprint. Now that is impossible because once uh, uh, sediment solidifies, it's done. It doesn't get gooey again, and then you, you see what I'm saying? Once it's solidified, it's done. So you, it had to happen at the same time. And they've got these all around the world. And so he's very excited about these proofs and the blonde-haired guy is sitting there kind of quietly and he said, well, what if the professor refutes that? And he says, well, how could he? It's irrefutable. And he says, but what if he does? And he said, what if he takes each point that you've gone through and he refutes it? Is that going to shake your faith? He says, you need to first settle on scripture. I believe this is the word of God. I accept that this is the word of God and nothing is going to shake my faith that this is the word of God. It was so well done because we have things. There's, there's a picture and I have always thought this is one of a stegosaurus, the thing with the big things on its back. It's a picture of a thing and they say they, it's in Cambodia and it says that this is only a stegosaurus. You look at it and it looks like it. And then... This is on creation websites. You'll see it all the time if you type it in, stegosaurus in Cambodia, okay? And you say, yeah, that's a stegosaurus. But then what they do is the evolutionists and the people that don't believe in creation will take and they'll back out from that one photo. And there's all these other animals and they all have this flower around them. And so it's a hippopotamus with a flower around it. And they, but it's deceitful what the creationists have done. And so once that happens, you can say, oh, I was wrong, which I've said. I saw that and I thought it was real. I said, hey, that can't be anything else. But when you look at all the other things, you realize that's a false photo. But the creationists were deceitful in how they presented it, which is just as bad because Christians do this all the time. They have websites where they get money and donate to this site. And Okay, 
And so what are you going to do? You're going to do the sensational. Oh, I found the Noah's Ark over in Turkey, which he didn't. And then I found the Ark of the Covenant, which he didn't. But people believe this stuff, okay? And they, they make a lot of money off of it because people love sensation, okay? Having seen that, I no longer think that it's a Stegosaurus because I've seen the other photos and it's got the same little flower around it as well, okay? So what are you going to do when the professor refutes that? And obviously you can't refute a, a foot, you know, one foot in another print. Right. But suppose he could. Suppose he comes up with a logical explanation. Is that going to shake your faith? If you are not grounded in the word of God, and yeah. if you are not believing that God has given us a sure word, your faith will be harmed. And so the best thing for you to do is to find, I love that little section of these two kids talking. They were probably 17, 18 years old, whatever. It was a great little thing they added in. And then they went through at the end and they, again, supported what they had talked about. They explained why. I don't want to give it all away, but I will give you one example of what they said, and they gave about 10 of them, and they're a lot better than humans can't run to the, the place where they need to. Trust me on it. You'll watch it, and you'll love it. Oh, I will. Okay. Um, one of them. I'm just going to give one so I don't give the whole thing away, but um, they have this many um, T-Rex bones in the world and it's like 36 or something. They, they found them here, here, and they show the whole belt in the United States where the T-Rex is found. And they have like 36 sets of bones. Okay, it, it might be more than that, but I'm just giving a number. So it's like 36. And they said, but they know from the numbers of blah, 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 that there were, and they gave this giant, giant, giant number of this is how many they believed lived in this area. Okay, and this is what the uh, evolutionists believe. It's just common knowledge that there's this many. Well, if they only have this many bones, and there were this many of them around, then they gave the percentage of how many were actually found. And it was like 0.00001%. So even with this big thing that has these big bones and it was put under the mud, the chances of finding one of these is actually really minuscule. It's not like, oh, we have a lot of dinosaur bones and this proves everything that we've thought. It's a very, very minuscule chance that it happened at all. And then they talked about how many humans there were, where humans were, the different, it was very well done. So if you wanna know, this is the kind of thing that is the talking about logic, it's talking about reason, and yet the thing that I like the most about it, despite the interesting things, was that they appealed to scripture. Make sure you're grounded in this word. And they did it with this object lesson of these two boys in school. Oh, it was wonderful. So I was asking, did the humans eat the dinosaurs? Um, I doubt it, but the dinosaurs may have eaten the humans. Uh, no, I don't know. Anyway. What's the site? Uh, it's called Genesis Apologetics. And then their most recent video, it's right up on the top if you go there. It's, um, uh, and I'm not saying that everything they said there is correct. I have no idea. I, you know, obviously I'm not a specialist in that type of stuff. But they gave good reasoning for these things. They gave it from a biblical perspective. They talked about what would have happened at this time of the flood, what time, at this time, how many days. And eventually they got up to the 150 days where everything is submerged 15 feet below sea level. And they went through that and explained why they believe from a creation perspective we haven't found any human bones. And it was well done. Um, whether their conclusions are right or not, at least it helped me to process things a little better. 
Okay, so um, here we go. We'll go back into that. Finally, Paul says, did I say that Colossians is scripture vital for doctrine? Okay, I'm going to read that again. His next words, in all wisdom, are given to oppose the esoteric and exoteric wisdom represented by the false teacher. Higher knowledge for the few philosophic minds. Think of the evolutionists and blind faith for the masses. You must believe what we believe, and the whole world believes evolution, even though there's not one bone of evidence to prove evolution. Right. Not one bone of it. Okay, but we have the higher knowledge, we have the esoteric knowledge, we have the ability to deduce what actually happened billions of years ago, even though nobody was there to see it, and all these things they say, blind faith for the masses, and that's what we're going through. Same thing with the energy thing going on right now, the green energy. Blind faith for the masses, we've got it figured out, okay? In Christian teaching, the highest wisdom is freely open to all. Vincent's Word Studies. As you can see, Paul's letter is not only one of instruction on what is correct concerning Christ, it is also a letter warning against what is incorrect. It is a cult buster if one properly uses it in that manner. Hence, education in the book of Colossians, as well as in all scripture, is vital for sound doctrine. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we do commentaries. That's why we read what Burke sends out two or three times a week. We want to know what's going on. We want to be able to get into the Word and understand what God is telling us. And none of us can grasp, grasp this whole Word. It's impossible. People send me a, a question and I don't know the answer. I say, well, I'm not sure and I'm not in that book yet. And that's easy, punt, okay, because I haven't studied and I'm not going to give a, a wrong answer on something I haven't thoroughly studied. But I also tell them if I come across something, I will let you know. And I always remember those things. I try to keep them fresh in my mind. But there are times when... But on the other hand, if somebody asks me something from Corinthians, and I've forgotten because it's been how many years since I did the Corinthian study, I just cut, copy my uh, commentary and I send it to them. I said, if this doesn't answer your question, come back and let me know. So it's nice to have commentaries on things because it saves a lot of work on those things. What do you got, Burke? James 1. James 1. Five. Five. Uh, well, I'm not there, but if you want to, you can. <laughs> Just read it loud. Okay, hang on. I can take me a minute to get there. Okay, James comes before or after Hebrews. I, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, let's see here. 59th book of the Bible, James. Let's see here. James 1.5 says, um, if any, Oh, yeah, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, but at the same time as asking for wisdom, we also want to ask for the ability to uh, discern from our studies. It's not just like, inject me with wisdom, Lord. Okay, I want the Lord to help me as I'm studying, okay? Yes. Because I don't want him to just say, okay, you know, we have a responsibility on our, our side of the, uh, the deal. Um, wisdom, I was reading about Solomon again a couple days ago, or maybe it was in the Bible, uh, the car when I was driving. I can never remember if it's listening to the Bible or reading. Um, anyway, Solomon uh, had more wisdom than all of the people in the world, and the Queen of Sheba came, and there was nothing too hard for him to answer. And you think about that, what a wonderful gift that he had. Yeah. And yet he squandered it right? He squandered it because wisdom does not mean application. You can know things. Yeah, yeah. Burke, Burke just made a little symbol that, uh, 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 a symbol of 700 and 300, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Um, that proverb that says, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of beginning. wisdom, and a lot knowledge 
of the Holy One is understanding. Yes. So it tells you that it's not an injection, it's something one needs to study. Study. That's exactly and right. Study the Bible, not something else. Study and apply. Study and apply. But yeah, you if you you can have the wisdom to discern things, but you still have to be able to do the study in order to discern to get to that point. And so you're absolutely right. Study it's maddening the churches that just tell you just you know the Holy Spirit will teach you. That's why James says don't just do, uh, study the word do. Do yeah absolutely. Oh boy. Okay. So um, uh, whereas false teachers claim exclusive knowledge, I've already read that freely open all. As you can see, Paul's letter is not only one of instruction on what is correct concerning Christ. It is also a letter warning against what is incorrect. It's a cult buster. If one properly uses it in that manner, hence education in the book of Colossians, as well as in all scripture, is vital for sound doctrine. Yeah. That's what we just talked about. Yeah. Finally, Paul says that this admonishment and teaching is done so, his words, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. Okay, this corresponds to his words of verse 22 which said that Christ's work was intended to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It is a perfection which finds its source in Christ, not in the wisdom of the mind or a perfection of the body through asceticism. Okay, unfortunately people, you know, and some people, maybe they go to monasteries for different reasons or they go to uh, these places where they're alone for different reasons, I don't know. But I personally, this is Charlie Garrett, I don't see the need for that type of a thing. We are to interact with the world. You can't from a monastery evangelize other people. You can gain all the wisdom in the world in a monastery, but what good is it if it's your wisdom and not passed on to somebody else? Now, it, it, that's almost a self-serving thing. But if you are wise and if you're studying and if you're telling other people what you know and you're sharing in what you know, that is real wisdom and that's the application of that wisdom. So, but you know, I understand everybody's different. Everybody's got their own thing and there may be people that go to these remote places and they just want to study and be left alone. They had a bad childhood or something. I don't know. Everybody's got their own reason for everything. But um, I would rather be in this world interacting with it and telling people about what can be found, the riches that can be found in the Word of God. Yeah. That That is the thing that's the most important to me. Yes. Rather, it is through instruction in the work of Christ and in the application of that instruction to our lives that we will be perfected until the day He comes to finally and fully perfect us. Okay, And you could say, well, if we're being perfected and we're going to get all that knowledge in heaven, then why do we need to have it now? And Obviously, that's true. Right now, you know, it's tiring. You, you get up early and you study and you read the Word and you're, you're mentally exhausted from trying to figure out what the Lord is telling you. And, well, if you're going to find that out anyway, then what difference does it make? But to me, that's, that's not the right way of looking at it. It does make a difference because we can take those things and we can, we can one, rejoice in our deeper faith. We now have a deeper faith because of what we've learned. We know that this is the Word of God. We can use that to tell other people about it. We can show them the proofs that we have. If those two boys talking in that class yesterday was just a nice little thing to see to remind me that there are people out there that really have it properly directed. Scripture first and then everything else. And if you have Scripture first, you are not going to have your faith weakened 
by something that may have been wrong. Like, you know, that picture that I saw of the Cambodian uh, uh, Stegosaurus, which wasn't at all. It was a hippopotamus, okay? Um, uh, and my faith wasn't weakened at all. The only thing I did was those dang Christians. If they're Christians at all. I mean, for people to do that deceitfully, that's pretty bad, okay? But for people to put something on a web. Now, it may be that one of the websites you go to, the people saw it and they said, look, and they had no idea what the rest of it was. Well, they're fine. They're teaching something that's wrong, but they're doing it with the right intent. But the person that first saw that and said, look, this proves this, when in fact just 20 other things right around it that prove that it doesn't, that's really deceitful. That I'm sorry, that is just not worth you know, losing your, your rewards over when you stand before the Lord or whatever. It's just not worth it. Anyway, life application. The Bible is given for life's doctrine and practice. We cannot grow in Christ without it. And we err when we think that mere life application sermons will, which tickle our ears will satisfactorily help us to grow spiritually. If you or a loved one isn't actively reading the Bible and following through with Bible studies, you are not living in accord with the instructions found in the Bible itself. Turn off the TV and open the Bible. Get to it there, friend. Okay, that is what we need to do because this is, yeah, I'd say it quite often, I'll say it again. You cannot know God. It is impossible to know God intimately without knowing Jesus Christ. It is not possible. And you cannot know Jesus Christ without this book. Impossible. Okay, this is the only source of Jesus. There's a line or two about him in a couple of Greek writings, ancient Greek writings, that mean absolutely nothing. It would be like reading about um, uh, Sergius Paulus on the wall of a place in Rome. It doesn't mean anything. Unless you have scripture, what? Oh, no. Uh, you're Sergius. Sergius. What does it mean anything? Well, <laughs> it meant, meant something to him and to you because you have a similar name. But uh, it's funny. Oh, God. Oh, you know what? I met somebody named Rhoda this past week. No. Yes. She nice. Was at the gate? Huh? Was she at the gate? She was at the gate. No, they were at 7 Eleven. There were these two folks, and they were, uh, they were uh, at 7 Eleven early in the morning walking. And uh, I, I, you just know. I said, Where are you from? And because they're walking around, their, you know, their eyes. And, you know, and when you've been here long enough, you don't really lift your eyes to the beauty of things because you're used to it. But they were just, you know, kind of awestruck at the morning. And uh, they're from New Jersey and such nice people. Wow, I talked to them for a while. And uh, then I walked them behind them all and I showed them all the birds I feed every morning. And, and uh, then I, I said, I, I want to show you something. So I took them back there. And uh, uh, then actually what I wanted to do was talk to them about Jesus without any interruptions because people walking in and out of 7-Eleven. And then they're already Christians. So yay, save me all that talk. And we had a nice conversation. And so there you go. But uh, yeah, I met a Rhoda this week. Uh, okay, John and Rhoda. from the show, but from the Bible. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely from the Bible, for sure. <laughs> And his name was John. I don't know if that was from the Bible, his family, or not. I have no idea. But uh, uh, he's a hairdresser, and she is a nurse. So nice people. All right. And I told him to gave him my uh, number. I said, if you come back, let me know. We'll get together. It was just so nice meeting them. Anyway, uh, 129. Here we go, 129. This is exciting. This is the last. Oh, the last of the chapter. Wow. wow. Okay. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Okay, to this end, and here we're at the end of the chapter. Wow. Okay, 
um, struggling, he said. This one says, to this end I also labor striving according to his working, uh, according to his working which works in me mightily. Okay, 129. Paul completes chapter one by moving from the third person to the first person. After this, in chapter 2, he will continue speaking in the first person, directly giving them words of counsel and admonition. The words, to this, refer to the previous verse where he said, We preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The translation to the, I'm sorry, the transition to the singular person then occurs. In essence, it is for this reason that we do this, and for this reason, I follow through with it. Yes. Okay, yes. He then notes that it is for this goal that I also labor. The word means to labor with both physical and mental strength to the point of weariness. Okay, on Wednesday, I went out and I did my regular uh, um, uh, leaf blowing, okay, at the mall. I go there, I start at six. I don't want, I could start anytime because it's in unincorporated Sarasota, and so you could do it at four o'clock in the morning and nobody could say anything, but I have mercy on the people and I start at six. <laughs> and so um, I'm there at six o'clock and I'm doing the parking lot, but what I usually do is I finish that and I go home and then after cleaning all the other things, taking out the garbage, but uh, I just, after I go home and I take care of the house and then I go in and, and get my Wednesday work done. But this Wednesday, I had to mow the lawn instead of doing it on Friday because a guy is flying in tomorrow morning and he's only going to be here for the day. And then after that, um, he's leaving tomorrow night. And so I got as much work done as I could on uh, Wednesday so that that wouldn't interfere with tomorrow. And um, uh, what was I think? Oh, yes. And so I was physically done. I was just done. And at the same time, I had already been up since 3 o'clock or 3.30 doing a commentary on the book of Acts and a couple other things. And so uh, uh, mental strength and physical strength to the point of weariness. That's how I felt on Wednesday. I was just done. But, you know, you go home, have something to eat, and you're back into the ball game. So uh, the day went fine. But Paul would exhaust himself in order... Oh, guess what happened? You know what? She doesn't get much time off. I'm talking about my wife there. She didn't get much time off. And then, of course, on Tuesday, she's supposed to be off Wednesday and Thursday. She comes home Tuesday. And kind of, matter of fact, during dinner, she says... And I'm working tomorrow. They are short on nurses. They, they've got a terrible nurse shortage here. Terrible. And so she kind of did it to me while I was eating dinner, so I couldn't say anything. My mouth is full, and I'm like... <laughs> so it was done. Done deal. So she was out working, too, and she was pretty tired when she got home. But she got one day off, which is today, and then she's got to go back until next Tuesday. Yeah, next Tuesday is her next day off, poor thing. Anyway... Um, yeah, they're, they're really struggling with nurses. I saw with the nurse strike up in Minnesota or uh, Wisconsin, know. one of these states up there right now, they've got a nurse strike. They are paying itinerant nurses that are coming in $8,000 a week plus their expenses just to fill in because these nurses are, there's a point where they're just going to have to meet these nurses' demands because... I, it's, you talk about expensive, and they say these nurses that come in don't know the people, they don't know the situation, and so it's a real problem. But if you want to make a lot of money and you're a nurse right now, take a month off from your job and go up there and, you know, what's that, eight times four is uh, uh, 32? 32, thank you. Anyway. Huh? She's not allowed to leave me. I, when she's gone, I, 
I have what's called ploppy food. <laughs> this is what I eat when Hidako's gone. Open it, put it in the, the thing, plop, and that's it. Sometimes I won't even heat it up. She's not allowed to leave me. Yeah, no. I, 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 all I know how to do is just heat things up. So, no. Um, okay, so he then notes it is for this goal that I also labor. The word means to labor with both physical and mental strength to the point of weariness. Paul would exhaust himself in order to bring every man to perfection in Christ Jesus. When it says man, please don't take offense at that, ladies. The masculine talks for both, okay? In the Hebrew, in the Greek, and in English up until about 10 minutes ago, and now it doesn't speak for anybody. But um, in further explanation of that, he says that he is striving according to his working. Paul's words, striving according to his working. The word translated as striving is agon, agon isomai. It uh, indicates a struggle as if one is engaged in a wrestling match or in a battle. One can see that this is the root of the modern word, anybody, agony, agonizomai, okay, the word agony. So Paul is putting himself through agony in order to uh, perfect himself, to perfect those that he's dealing with, okay? That's the way we should be, all right? The words, his working, his working is referring to Christ Jesus. The word is energeia, obviously energy, okay? And Paul's use of it is that of God's power being supplied to him and through him. It is as if he was a machine plugged into a receptacle. In that state, he was receiving energy necessary to move from one task to another because of this external supply coming to him, okay? One can see that this is where our modern term energy is derived from. He was able to meet the challenges set before him because of this power, which, as he says, works in me mightily. Paul's words again, works in me mightily, okay? And there the word is dunamis, which our modern word dynamite absolutely the so he's got all these words here that even today you know when they have a word that they uh, want to introduce I'm talking about the scholars and people that are uh, you know especially during the uh, 17 18 and uh, 1900s they would always go to either the Latin or the Greek for the most part to find words that fit properly and that's why so many of our words that are technical in nature come from the Greek uh, writings, some from the Bible, but many of them just from the uh, classical Greek literature. And uh, they can modify those into our language very easily. So you'll see that a lot of the words that we use are etymolo etymologically uh, linked back to Greece. Um, okay, so the modern power is the word dunamis. It is God's power supplied to him, which then results in powerful deeds and successful accomplishments. This is the root of our modern term, there it is, dynamite. Paul was chosen by God to transmit the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He both labored with all of his might and he relied fully on the power of God to continue to meet every challenge that came before him. Okay, uh, we've got enough time to do at least one more, so that's good. Um, we'll put that there. And life application. God has fashioned each of us to accomplish certain things. If we are willing to expend ourselves in doing those things, okay, if we're willing to expend ourselves in doing those things, I better read that again. He's fashioned us, each of us, to accomplish certain things if we are willing to expend ourselves in doing those things. I was thinking about what it would be like if every person could do 
what he thought he was good at. I was watching a, a guy that does um, uh, videos on music, and he gets all excited about his music. He came up on my feed a while ago. I saw the first video from him, and since then he's come up a couple times. And this guy, his name is Rick Beato. Okay? Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, oh, he's, have, are you talking about his videos or his music? Cause he uh, was, I don't know his music. Oh, okay, but you've seen his videos. A lot. Okay, so Rick Beato is the kind of guy where he listens to music. He, he's done this since he was young. And he will uh, uh, take that music and figure out what the, the sounds are. This is a A major or whatever, A7 major, whatever. I don't know anything about music. I, I know nothing. Even when I hear it, I can't distinguish it. I, it's impossible. My brain doesn't work that way. But Rick Beato does what he wants to do, and he does what he's good at. Okay, and so I'm watching him yesterday. He's doing one on um, the top 20 acoustic introductions to songs that he picks 20 songs. He says, these are, in my opinion, the best of these. And he'll do a little series on it. Or he'll do something about a song that should have been popular that wasn't, and here's why. And it's wonderful stuff that he does. And um, I've only seen a few of his, but uh, when he does it, he's very excited about it. And when he plays, you can see the emotion in his face because he loves what he's doing. And while I was watching him, I was thinking if everybody could do that with their lives, if they could pick what they wanted to do, then what type of a world would it be like? Okay, Because I couldn't, if somebody said, you know, uh, we want you to analyze music and we want you to figure out how to play this song, I'd say, just kill me now because it's not going to happen. All right. But uh, that's what he does and that's what he loves to do. And so you got people that are, are, you know, they are killed when they're young. They're a soldier, they die, and what he wanted to do was never realized, okay? Or some people are, are just forced into jobs that they aren't good at. And the amount of human potential and productive ability is just eradicated by this world. And I can't wait for the day that we get glorified and we can have the the full potential that we have expressed in the things that we want to do, or vice versa, the things we want to do expressed in the full potential that we have. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for there to be a time when everybody is able to glorify God through the use of the things that they are really good at and that they love to do. I can't wait for that day. So You're the Charlie Beto of, uh, of the Bible. Well, I don't know about that, but but I, I, he really is exceptional in what he, he, he does. does. He, he's, he's fun to watch. Yeah, he's very, he, he, yeah, and I don't know anything about music. I mean, I literally, I love to listen to music. Don't get me wrong. So when he plays a song, I know the song he's playing. I couldn't tell you what he's talking about at all, but he makes it fun. And that's, exa you're exactly right. He makes it fun. And because of that, um, you know, if more videos come up and I have the time, because his videos can be a little long. They can be 10 to 15 minutes long, and sometimes I don't have that. But uh, if I do, you know, I'll watch another, and hopefully it'll be as fun. But he really, really is able to pick things out that, that express how music works. Even though I don't understand it, he makes it enjoyable. So I can't wait for the day when we all have that ability. Okay, um, I'll read that again. God has fashioned each of us to accomplish certain things, like Rick Beato, if we are willing to expend ourselves in doing them. Okay, um, I, it, there's a good example of one of the people that he talked about in the video. He did a video on a guy that died and he did it as a dedication video to him. This guy was like the greatest uh, a guitarist of a certain genre ever. He was marvelous and he got a brain injury and he literally couldn't remember anything. 
And what did he do? He spent the next years relearning everything. And he said he actually learned better. His music was even better. And before, it was so incredible that people couldn't ever have played it. Now, that's a guy that, one, loved what he did, and he was willing to expend himself in order to produce the thing that he loved if he did it twice in his life. Imagine that. You know, if it was me and I had a brain injury, and I, would I strive to read the Bible the way I do now? I, I don't know. You know, I, I would hope that that would be my desire. But um, uh, someday, someday this is all going to be behind us and we're going to have an ability we don't possess now. Um, he has not left us to simply wear ourselves out in the process. He will supply us with everything we need in order to continue to work effectively for him. Let us not trust in our own strength, but rely on the Lord, who is the one who has set the plan into motion and who will see it through to its completion. It's not that it might happen, it will happen. It is going to come about someday. Now we got 20 minutes, so we can do another verse, and wait, where am I, 2-1, we got a, yes. okay, 2-1. Another exciting moment. Another exciting moment. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally, Okay, this one's a little different. Uh, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have, have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Okay, so 129, 2-1. Uh, to open, it's top of the page, so I looked at the wrong place. Burke laughs at me. I'm so goofy. Um, to open chapter 2, remember, though, that chapter divisions did not exist at this time. Paul says, for I want you to know. The words are given to show that what his heart feels is what he is trying to convey, knowing that if they understood these emotions, they would be truly affected concerning his words. Okay? More commonly, Paul would say, I would not have you to be ignorant, such as in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. He may, how, here he makes it a positive rather than a negative statement. So this is Paul's desire. Uh, when I say that there were no chapter divisions, there weren't. There were no uh, verse numbers either, okay? Um, and uh, it, the Bible is written in just, you know, a format where everything just continues on. But the uh, chapter divisions were put into the Bible. They were first introduced um, by a guy, and we do not use his chapter divisions. Uh, the guy that we do use is a guy named Cardinal Hugo Santo de Claro, and uh, I think it was about uh, 1300 that he came up with his divisions, and so they have stuck with those. And then um, it was, anybody know the year that the verses were added in? It was about 1560, and his name was, uh, it was the Geneva Bible, but it was by Robert Stephanus. Okay, so Robert Stephanus in 1560, it was introduced, as he said, in the Geneva Bible. And yet, okay, and I know people will disagree with this, but I am absolutely and 100% sure that the chapter divisions are the way that God wants them and that the verse divisions are exactly the way that God wants them. Sure. There was a process of inspiration, whether those men knew it or not, that was used in order to give us the Bible as we have it today. The order of the books is not the same as the Jewish canon, okay? Theirs goes from Genesis to, to Chronicles, all right? Some of the books in the Jewish canon, like uh, Samuel and Kings, etc., are one book instead of two. But I can tell you, having studied this book and having looked at the patterns throughout the years, 
there is absolutely no doubt that the way that the Christian Bible is put together, the way it is structured, and the chapter and verse divisions are divinely inspired. I have no doubt about that. Okay. That's correct. They're not definitely the book of Jeremiah is complete. It's not chronological at all. It's all over the place. And as I've argued a few times in the uh, in the uh, Joshua book, it's not chronological. When Joshua met with the uh, angel uh, of the Lord Jesus, he's standing there. I am certain because of the way that it's expressed that it it actually belongs during the Battle of Jericho. But it was put before there. So we got all kinds of things in there that are not in a order that would make sense. And yet it makes all the sense in the world once it's studied and understood. Everything finds its place. So um, uh, I'm, I'm just certain about that. So when I say that these were not in there, it doesn't mean I don't believe that they're not inspired. I do believe that. But at the same time, the thought process will often carry from one chapter to another. So you need to look at the full context. A really good example of that is one of the chapters in Acts, and I can't remember which it is, ends on a semicolon. It's right in the middle of a sentence. So, you know, uh, but there's a reason for it. Okay, so. Um, is the book of uh, Job then? Oh, yeah. We are the, the first, the oldest one? Or? Yeah, yeah. Job is, well, it, it's possible that Job is the oldest written book. Genesis is obviously the oldest historical book, but they believe that Job could have been written even before uh, Moses received uh, yeah. Genesis through Deuteronomy. I don't know if that's true, but the time frame could be. It all depends on, and I read a great, great study on that. It was a long, and the guy did an amazing evaluation of all of the names, all of the places, and uh, he came to a conclusion that it is possible he's contemporary with Abraham, but uh, also it's possible he's contemporary with Isaac or Jacob. And so um, it's just hard to tell um, where that is. But Job is a really good book, and uh, uh, someday someday we'll be there. To your point, the the Gospels, you've got the the three synoptics, and they're... They're, you know, like, what, 40 years after or like 30 years after? They, but They're very soon after. John is like, you know, ev- everything yeah. already done. The, 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 uh, Paul had died. Um, mm-hmm. All the other apostles had died. Uh, the the, the um, uh, expulsion is, had occurred. The temple yeah. was already ruined. Yeah. And he wrote everything that on, on the, the fourth gospel. Much and later. And all his stuff way yeah. after. And Revelation, that's right. Revelation. Much, much later. So that's exactly right. Understanding this, um, a positive statement rather than a negative statement. Understanding this, he continues with, what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. The word he uses here is the noun agon. Anybody? Agony. Agony, That's right. It is cognate to the verb striving of verse 129. It is as if he were in a battle or a wrestling match against the spiritual foes of the church, fighting for the precious saints that he was called to minister to. It is certainly a spiritual battle which he is speaking of as the words of the next clause will show. In verse 4.12, he will again use the verb form of the word when speaking of the prayers of Epaphras. This further shows us that Paul's conflict is tied into the striving of Epaphras and which is spiritual in nature. His desire was that they could know and understand the level of trial and striving that he had put forth on behalf of the churches of Colossae and Laodicea. Okay, so uh, I thought somebody was walking by, but you're stretching your back. So anyway, um, 
I can catch people out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, you know, that's why when you're, especially when you're doing a sermon in a church this small, Sergio can attest to this, you never look somebody in the eye. You, you, that'll be the end of you. You just got to look around without looking at anybody because once you make eye contact, you're done. I it, looked at your eyes dude, when the communion. Oh, done. Uh, done. Absolutely. Yeah, you're looking yeah. for like me to I hint you. Wrong. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's it, man. Once you've done that, you, you just gotta not. When you're this close and you're trying to think a thought through, it's not gonna happen. When you suddenly make eye contact and you know, especially when people yawn. Oh, that's the worst. It's like oh, whatever. Yeah, I'm boring them to death. Yeah. Thanks, Sergio. Okay. It's not you. Like a thousand no, I know. I, it just, no, and it's, it's not even you. I'm just saying in general, especially on Sunday morning, because one, it's early. I understand most people don't get up until one or two o'clock. So having church at uh, 10 o'clock is difficult. But secondly, I understand, especially during the sermons, I will give 8,000 points of knowledge and nobody, you know, when I'm typing these things, I'm literally exhausted at the end of the day. How much more when somebody has to listen to it? Okay. But I'll never apologize for it because I used to be like, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you something complicated today. I will never do that again because I'm not sorry. I, I'm happy that we have this information. And if you don't get it this time, read it again. Sometimes read it three times. You'll get it. And it's worth it. Okay. It's worth it. Um, uh, so. Uh, but he next shows, we're talking about on behalf of the churches of Colossae and Laodicea, but he next shows that this conflict was not limited to them alone. Rather, it extended to, here's his words, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He was, <clears throat> excuse me, at this point, unknown personally to many, and yet he labored for them in the great conflict of spiritual matters. He wrote epistles. He studied the scriptures in order to find answers to questions that had been sent to him. He steadfastly prayed for those who were being led astray and so on. This is Paul's life. This yeah. is what he did. And this is how he conducted his affairs. Okay, he was in agony over these things. It was his calling as a minister and a minister and minister he did. He put forth great effort in order to bring soundness of doctrine and peace within the fellowship to those he ministered to. Okay. With the absolutely Such with the Romans, yeah, yeah, absolutely, he did that with every one of his churches. He was very, very set in his uh, a desire to uh, ensure that there was peace in the church, that there was soundness in the church, but there was also right understanding and doctrine. Because if somebody wasn't right with the church, we saw that in one Corinthians five, get him out of the congregation. Okay, he was very, very clear about upholding the sacredness and the sanctity of the church yeah. in all things. Life application. Are you willing to minister to those you have actually never met? What will you do if someone emails you with questions concerning doctrine? I try to always, you know, I'll get a lot of emails that have nothing to do with anything. They just come in. But if somebody sends a doctrine email, I will try my best to always answer it on the same day. I don't always get to it, but I try my very best to do that. And sometimes, you know, I, I will send it and then I'll come back and I'll read it and I'll think, oh, I never said their name. I didn't say goodbye. I'm, I'm interested in getting the information to them. And so I'm not thinking about courtesies at the time. And I always regret that. Like, gee, I didn't say, you know, hi, John. And I just answer it and I send it. But that's 
to me, getting the information to them is what's important because I got 10 million other things to do as well. But I don't want somebody to have a question that is lagging and then they go back to the church and they're fed more bad information or they're fed something that's wrong or whatever. I don't want that. And so I always try to answer doctrine questions right away. But I always like it when they ask something that that belongs to a commentary I've already written because then I just cut and paste it and it's done. So um, it doesn't matter, but I, I am often, if I ever seem curt to somebody in a doctrine uh, uh, email, it's not that I am, it's that I just wanna get that to them. And so if I don't say hello, goodbye, that's just me. Anyway, um, uh, are you willing to minister to those you have actually never met? What will you do if someone emails you with questions concerning doctrine? And that can be anybody because you're a Christian and they want to know. You've got to be able to either tell them or send them to somebody that does know. Okay, that's your responsibility. And what if you hear of a church that is struggling and facing great trials? We have, uh, we have opened to us a vast, a vast amount of resources for helping in doctrine. And we have the throne of heaven open to us for prayer when such needs are made known to us. Let us use these tools as weapons in the great spiritual battle we are engaged in. Okay, I will tell you something. Um, I am not at all ashamed of giving their name because I have yet to see other than maybe one minor, minor point in a uh, passage. Uh, it's called Got Questions. Do you know Got Questions? Okay, Got Questions. If you have a Bible question and you're not sure about it, it's something that's general in nature and you want... They, you pull up got questions and even before you get into the site they've got a bar where you can put your question in okay put it in hit enter and they'll come up with an explanation and I have found them to be very very reliable having said that I always say something like this and then somebody will email me a day later and they say did you know that they said and it's something completely apostate so I'm not there, there was one thing I found I was just like I said this is the best they're so spot on with all theology it's everything and then there was one that was I was like wow, way I off to, I can't send it to my friend it was so off yeah but I didn't write it down I should have written it down yeah well and that'll happen so I just want you to know when I say go to God questions don't just trust it yeah. you think it through check with a couple other sources etc but if you just need especially answers to like why does it say a scarlet robe here and a purple robe here okay why is that because it sounds like a contradiction they're gonna have a good answer to that in there they're gonna to explain to you the words the terminology and I'll tell you something we had a house and people would call it pink and some people would call it coral okay there there are reasons why things happen and why different words are used and perceptions from different people etc so you know when you find little things like that in the Bible got questions is a very good resource but once again I'm not saying that they are right so please don't email me and say, you said, and that's not my intent, okay? My intent is for you to at least have a resource you can use if I don't have the answer for you or if you, you know, I'm, I, I die or something, whatever. Anyway, we gotta go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for the wonder and marvel that is in it. And thank you for those who are willing to not only study it, but to think on it, to share it, to contemplate it, meditate on it, to uh, just, let it roll around in their heads and to just be a part of who they are as human beings, being filled with you through your word. Lord, thank you for people like that. And thank you that uh, we have a congregation that is just so wonderful to want to know your word and to just be uh, so willing to uh, drink it up every single week. Lord, you're so good to us to fellowship with each other and to be able to enjoy this word together. 
And Lord, there are many other good congregations out there, sound preachers that are doing their job. Please bless them in their hearts and in their souls and uh, give them the courage to face the times that we are facing in this difficult world. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all you do for us, and we praise you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back this up here. We're going to go to break.